0: be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall you light, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fall, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Well, thank you, Chad. I appreciate that. My name is Cody. I am uh, the pastor of spiritual formation and worship here at Redemption Arcadia. And uh, Frank has asked me to deliver the first sermon talking about our series on Lent. That's what we're going to be talking about the next four weeks. What is Lent? Why should we practice it? What are the four spiritual disciplines within the practice of Lent and why it matters to Christians? Uh, But before we get into that, I... uh, I want to bring you back to the year 2007. This is an important year for me, and sadly, it's, I'm not, it was an important year for many reasons, one of which is because that's when I met Lauren, and uh, we fell in love and started to date and all that stuff. Uh, but that is not actually why it was important um, in this instance. It's because that's when Radiohead released their album, uh, In Rainbows. Um, now, if you're a Radiohead album, this will make a lot of sense to you. You will probably have a shared experience with me. If you are not a Radiohead album, there's still plenty of time for you to repent. Um, It's a long service, uh, so we can get there together. Um, But Radiohead released the album in rainbows. And why this was important was because it had been five years since Radiohead had done anything. Throughout the 90s and throughout the early 2000s, they were this powerhouse band. like They were the top of everyone's best bands in the world list. um, Still should be. but they'd been doing this and then all of a sudden after their 2003 album Hail to the Thief they just stopped. There's nothing. You didn't hear from them. They didn't tour. They didn't do anything. Uh, everybody heard they'd been dropped from their label or they had intentionally bowed out from being their label. Hadn't heard anything until all, out of the blue they just announced hey we're releasing an album. We're releasing it ourselves. You can pay what you want. If you want to pay $0 pay $0. If you want to pay $1,000 pay $1,000. We'll just email it to you. They did this. Now, to us now, it's not that weird, because I think there's been other things that did this, but this was like, nobody had done this before. Everybody thought this was really weird, strange. A lot of people didn't think it would work, but they did that, and so the day came when they released the album. I had, of course, signed up to get it. Um, I think I had paid zero dollars for it, (laughs) true fan, and uh, was just (laughs) waiting to get the email. Like I, 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 it, was, it was strange and creepy how often I checked my email that day. Like the moment I woke up, checked it every five minutes, like the entire day until about 1230 that night when I finally got the email. I like to believe that it was Tom York himself who emailed me the album. Um, so Tom emailed me uh, his album. And I was really excited about it, downloaded it, put it on my iPod, which is uh, something that will probably be just like a cup holder on a coffee table here pretty soon. Um, Put it on my iPod, went outside, just laid on my back porch, and listened to it. I listened to it three times, nonstop, all the way through. When 15 Steps started, this deconstructed, like, rhythmic song it crescendoed and song all you need and then the last song videotape was just beautiful simple plaintive song i just loved every single minute of that album and it, it was beautiful it was, it was it was it was an incredible moment it was much more important to me than probably to you and you probably think it's weird that i cared that much about it but it, but, it, but it was just this great moment but what you need to know is for it to have been this great moment for me It couldn't have just happened in that moment. See, two months before when they announced that they were going to be doing this, I started just listening to Radiohead over and over and over again, all the way back from Pablo Honey all the way through. Listened to their progression. Listened to the way things changed over time. Listened to all the uniquenesses of Tom's voice, how Johnny Greenwood moved from being this rock guitarist to this kind of like weird sound electronic genius to watching this whole progression of this band To where when I finally got it, when I finally listened to the album, I was ready to hear it. I was ready to hear all the nuance, all the power that made that album so great. I was ready to hear it because I'd prepared for it, because I'd listened to it. I'd read every article that could be out there, watched all the videos that I could find. I was prepared for this moment. See, I think that is why Lent is important. Every year, we as a church walk through this. We get to Holy Week. We go to Palm Sunday. We get to Monday, Thursday, for some traditions that practice that. We go to Good Friday. We go to Easter. And I think that what oftentimes happens when churches don't at least try to do something during Lent is that that happens. We miss it. We're not ready to hear it. We're not prepared to understand the depth of Jesus' death and resurrection. And it moves on without actually being able to fully do what it's supposed to do in our lives without being able to fully impact us the way it's supposed to. And that's what Lent is. Lent is the season of preparation. Um, I I have a definition that I'm going to put up there. It's my own definition. It's probably not nearly as good as most other people's definition, but I think it's helpful for me. Lent prepares our bodies, hearts, and minds to fully remember and experience the death and resurrection of Jesus. It prepares our bodies, hearts, and minds to fully remember and experience the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that's what we're doing from Ash Wednesday all the way to Easter. That's the season of Lent. And the way we do this, the way we prepare our bodies, our minds, and hearts to receive this is kind of through focusing on four spiritual disciplines. This is historically how Lent has worked. Those four spiritual disciplines are fasting, prayer, almsgiving, and scripture reading. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. We're going to be taking each of these sections talking about why do Christians do this? What is this? Like, what is the Christian approach to all of these things? And why does it matter in preparing us to receive the great news that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again to defeat death once and for all? This morning, I'm going to specifically be looking at fasting. Fasting is one of those things, I, I think it's one that's most commonly associated with Lent. When people think of Lent, they think of fasting And so it's the one that's most known. Uh, However, I think in modern church practice, it's probably one of the least practiced spiritual disciplines out there. I think for one, I think a lot of people don't understand it. I think a lot of us don't understand kind of why would we not eat food? Isn't that legalistic? Isn't that, you know, all of these different things. So we don't practice for that. But I think the bigger reason why we don't practice, and if I'm being honest with myself, the reason why I don't fast nearly as often as, at least the Bible kind of talks about fasting, is because I don't like to not eat food. Like, I I think if we're really being honest, it's because being hungry is just not fun. It's uncomfortable. We like to eat. And so we'll justify all the reasons why, even though it mentions prayer and fasting almost all the time together, anytime it talks about prayer, it talks about prayer and fasting in the Bible, we just kind of be like, ah, we'll pray (laughs) while we eat our burrito. Um... But uh, so so I I want us to look at fasting because even as I've gone through this sermon and fasting is something that I have done before, but I think I did it not understanding its importance and stuff like that. And this is a deeply convicting message for me. But let's look at what fasting is. Um, uh, We're going to do so uh, by really taking this section of Scripture in Isaiah because I think he defines what it's not really well. And then he talks about what is unique to fasting in a biblical sense. So let me read again fifty eight one through five it says Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness, and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? one thing you need to know about this section is that Isaiah, like in this section, has fully pulled on his sassy pants. Like he is being snarky in this. He is not holding back at all. He is being uh, borderline mean in what he's saying because verse 5 is really just him just making fun of the people of Israel at that time. See, what was happening at the time, so Israel, throughout the course of their history, and if you read kind of some of the Old Testament and understand the way the the year worked for them, is there were specific days and festivals that were, some of them were feast festivals and some of them were fasting times. Yom Kippur is probably the one we most hear of and know. It's the Day of Atonement, but that would have been considered a fast. So the nation of Israel had embedded in their kind of yearly practice Certain days in which they were supposed to fast, and historically there was even times when they added on to that. So it's certain times when they would fast on like a Tuesday and a Thursday or a Monday and a Wednesday. They would have all these different things. And what's interesting is when Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel at this time, they were fasting. They were doing that. They were living out the law in that regards in what uh, the Bible had talked about. So it wasn't that they weren't doing those things. See, Isaiah was writing to them at kind of the time right after Hezekiah. So he starts writing during Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was the king of Judah at the time when Assyria comes and wipes out the nation of Israel. So he's the king of Judah. Judah and Israel had split into two nations right after Solomon. Assyria comes and completely wipes Israel out. And he's kind of pounding at the doors of of. of Jerusalem. And fortunately, Hezekiah was a God-fearing man. He prayed a prayer, and God saved and delivered Judah for at least 200 extra years. So Isaiah is writing to them at this time. And they're asking this question during this. They're like, I'm doing what I think the Bible says to do. I'm fasting when I'm supposed to fast. We're doing all of this stuff, yet it doesn't seem like God is hearing us. It doesn't seem like God is holding up his end of the bargain. He's not drawing near. He's not doing what we intended to happen when we fast. And that's kind of the problem that, that, that at least the nation of Israel is saying, we're doing, we think we're doing what we're supposed to do. Why isn't God doing his, his end? And it's because, and Isaiah points to this, it's because the way you're approaching fasting ultimately is actually insulting God as opposed to worshiping him. And it's for two reasons. And this is uh, this is something we can apply to fasting if we if we were to approach fasting. And I think even bigger, just worship in general. The first is that they were fasting to please themselves. They were fasting to please themselves. It says that in here in verse three, it says, Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure. They were not doing this to praise God. They were not doing this as a way to honor God, but ultimately as a way to seek satisfaction in themselves. See, at the time, that they, were, they, would pump, like, like they would make it very well known to everybody that they were fasting. So in the days that they would fast, they'd put on rags. They'd put dirt on their face. They would mourn and lament and be sorrowful. They would just throw themselves this giant pity party just to make sure everybody knew these guys were fasting. And This is when Jesus later well, it speaks directly to this. He says, when you fast, don't do that. Wash your face. Put on real clothes. Don't let anybody else know that you're fasting. Stop, stop advertising this to people. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says that. But Isaiah is saying the same thing. You're doing this and what's at your heart is that you want God, you're, you're just doing this to please yourself. Um, and the other thing that they're doing is they're doing it while ignoring the heart of God's law. The heart of God's law is to care and love for people around you, it's to care for the broken, to care for the oppressed, to care for the stranger. And it's written throughout all of God's law that all these things are there to help practice justice and seek righteousness for others. And he says, You're not doing any of that stuff, you're just doing the ritual. Walter Brueggemann, um, who is an Old Testament scholar, wrote it this way He says, Isaiah chides his contemporaries who have turned worship into an act of self indulgence void of ethical content. They enjoy worship. Worship, if faithful to Yahweh, is a focus upon Yahweh's concerns known in the Torah. This present worship, however, only mouths a concern for Yahweh, but in fact is a fakery untouched by the true character of Yahweh. We may imagine this as feel-good worship that violates the true intention of Yahweh. So the problem Isaiah ultimately had with this is that it wasn't really about God. It ignored God's heart. That this fast that they were doing was about themselves. And oftentimes at the expense of the people around them. Now what's really hard for me when I read the prophets, specifically, I mean, and this is true for the whole Bible, but I think the prophets just do it in a more in-your-face way, is that it's incredibly convicting. Is that I'll read this stuff and just be like, oh, man, it's just a little too close to home. Because I think we do this. If I'm honest with myself, I do this sometimes. Um, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll tell you my, something connected to this is probably my second least favorite phrase I'll hear. My first least favorite, just as a side note, is when my kids will walk up to me and say, hey, Daddy, can we do a craft? <laughs> like, something dies inside of me. I think the road to hell is paved and crayons, markers, glue, and glitter. Like, I just, I, I, I can't stand it. I love my kids. I will do crafts with them, but just a part of me dies every single time. Side note, has nothing to do with the sermon. My second least favorite um, phrase that I'll oftentimes hear is when people, I'll be talking to somebody, and they'll be like, you know what, I think I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go get my worship on. And then they'll do like a weird dance or something like that. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to go get my worship on. Like there's some like yoga pants from Lululemon or something like that. Like, like I understand what is meant by that, but it, but it bothers me to the core because I know that there's a heart behind it that's totally missing the point. Worship is not anesthesia. Worship is not something we do to medicate ourselves from the hurts of life. Because if you're asking yourself, Should I go to church and worship or should I do meth? Both have the same effect on your heart. Then you're asking the wrong questions. It is not a drug we take. It is not something we do to ourselves to ignore the rest of the world. And and, and this is something that music does. I think music is supposed to do this specifically. I think worship, and a lot of the things that we'll do, whether it's fasting, scripture reading, like there is something that happens in our hearts, and it's supposed to do that. And I get that. I'm not saying that it's bad to feel emotions during worship, but when the point is that we feel the types of emotions that just help us ignore things, to help us seek pleasure, if it's just this giant thing that we do just to kind of ignore life, then that's not worship. God doesn't hear it. God doesn't want it. It cheapens him. And furthermore, when it's done in a way that just completely ignores the poor, when it completely ignores the injustices surrounding us, it goes completely against God. You know, and this is the hard tension. And it's a tension that I, as a worship pastor, wrestle with quite a bit here. You know, we have spent money to make this experience something that we can all come in access that it's done well. We want the songs to sound good. We want you to be able to hear us. So we have speakers. We have all these things. And I think that that's okay. It's okay for us to invest money in this because God, I think, is honored by beauty. And I think that that's okay. But there is a very, very, very thin line that we walk in the way that we worship. There's a very thin line that we walk where there's a point where we spend too much of our money, too much of our time, and too much of our resources making this a great experience at the expense of those who need our resources and those who need our time and those who need our energy. And that's something that we just have to walk. That is a hard tension and one that I think we fail at a lot. And this is what he's talking about. This is what Isaiah is coming after Israel talking about. He says, you are fasting, but you're not doing it in a way that's honoring God, and that's why he doesn't hear you. That's why he's not drawing near. This is not the fast that God demands. This is not the fast that he would choose. That's what's kind of implied in verse 5. He's making fun of them. He's like, really, is this the fast that i choose? That's probably the best way to read that. Saying this is not what fasting is. I know that this is what it might look like in other religions, but this is not what fasting is to God. So let's look at what fasting actually is. Um, Starting in verses six. It says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is not that to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him, And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. See, one thing that we need to know and understand is that biblical fasting, godly fasting, the kind of fasting that God responds to, the kind of fasting that God desires, is not like other fasting. See, fasting is not unique to Christianity. Pretty much every major world religion has fasting in it. In fact, they they probably fast more than would be traditional in, in a Christian setting. So fasting in and of itself is not something unique to Christianity, but there is a uniquely Christian way to fast. There is a way to fast that is in line with the heart of God, and there is a way to fast that only builds ourselves up, that only makes us appear more righteous, that only medicates ourselves, that only does that, and oftentimes does it at the expense of other people. So let's talk about that. What is, then, biblical fasting? What should fasting do? in the life of a Christian that helps us do what God wants us to do ultimately. Um, Walter Brueggemann also uh, made this quote kind of regarding these verses. He says, These verses present a clear, radical statement of social ethics that is at the heart of Judaism, derivative from older covenantal prophetic tradition. The God of Judaism is not a God who likes to be flattered, in a more or less passive routine of worship. This God is out working the neighborhood and wants all adherents doing the same. I just love that last line. God is a God who's out working the neighborhood. He's out meeting with the people. He's out making sure there's no need in his domain. and He wants us out doing the same. So ultimately, any spiritual discipline that we do as a church should point us towards that end. So let's look at this. I I, I want to talk about five biblical traits of fasting. What are the five things that make fasting biblical? The first of which is that biblical fasting trains us to have margin. Biblical fasting trains us to have margin. Now some of these points, especially the first two, are kind of implied and assumed in this text. So you're going to have to kind of bear with me, but I think it, it's important to see these aspects before really getting to the third point that I'll get to, which is his main point. And the, the first is that godly, the biblical fasting trains us to have margin. Um, it, it, really, in a very physical way and practical way, it's teaching us to say no to food so we can learn to say no to other things so that we can have margin in our lives and therefore actually have the room and space to be generous. Margin is embedded in God's heart and design for people, not so that we can just have cush, but so that we'd actually have the means and have the availability to care and love for other people. Um, this, uh, this last week, uh, Lauren and I started talking about the possibility of getting a new mattress. Um, we, uh, so' a fairly common practice, at about 6:30 a.m. to 7 a.m, our kids will start to trickle into our room, crawl up into our bed and cuddle and do all that stuff. And it's great. It's really sweet. Um, But our bed's a little small for that. Um, We have a queen-size bed. And I don't like to be, like, touched much in bed. And so, like, so we're we're talking about this. We're like, you know what? This would be an even sweeter experience if this was in a king-size bed. And so we we talked about it. And we're like, yeah, someday down the road, we'll, we'll figure it out when we can do that. But it was amazing how quickly in my heart it went from, yeah, someday down the road we'll do this to, like, within an hour being like, I don't want to wake up another morning in that bed. Burn it. Put it outside. Don't even change the sheets. Not interested in this bed. It, like, it, it was so quickly, like, like, I caught myself. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why do I hate this bed so much? It's been fine up until now. But now I, I literally can't look at it. Like... like Because what happened in that moment is I I realized what this world has done to my heart. And it's important that we recognize this. This world is doing things to our heart. It's trained me to think that the moment I I perceive some type of want, that immediately becomes a need. that needs to be done, like, right now. Guys, we have Amazon Prime now. You don't have to get up. You just sit there, you click on something, and somebody delivers it to your door. This is the world we live in. Now, let me take a step back. I'm not hating on Amazon Prime now or anything like that. Like, it's okay. I think we used it this week. It's fine. (laughs) But we need to know what this is doing to us. Because I I, I think this is the real challenge we have when it comes to generosity. If I were to look at everybody and talk to you guys and say, hey, if somebody needed some money, would you be willing to help them? If somebody needed some food, would you be willing to help feed them? Would you be, I don't think there's anybody in this room who wouldn't want to do that, who would just ignore that and say, no, I, I'm not interested. I don't think there's anybody here. The problem is not an issue of want. The problem is an issue of ability. Most of us are so leveraged that we actually don't actually have the space to help. We don't have the room to help. We don't have the money to give. We don't have the food to give. We don't have the time to give. We don't have the energy to give. This is what this world is doing to us. It makes us feel like we, not only do we have to buy a house, but we have to buy a house at the peak of our, our, our finances. It's okay. We can buy stuff on credit. Just spread it out over time. This is the world we're living in, and it affects our hearts, and that is what biblical fasting should do. This is why it exists. This is why what it should be doing in our hearts, it should be training our hearts in a very physical, uncomfortable way to be able to say no to things so that we can actually have the space to help. So we can actually have the space and say, I actually have the money to care for you. I actually have the time to give to you. All of the things that the Bible demands of us takes time and resources. Oftentimes, that's something that we just don't have and not because we're... In a time of famine or something like that, it's because our appetites exceed our means. And that's what fasting does. That's what biblical fasting should do and train our hearts to do, is to create and develop margin in our lives so that we can be generous. The next thing that biblical fasting does is it disciplines us to have empathy, is it disciplines us to have empathy. It is hard to feel what it's like to be hungry if we've never been hungry. I'm not talking about the like it's 11.45 on a Tuesday and we're going to eat our arms off if we don't go to Taco Tuesday or something like that. I'm talking about actual hunger where like our body starts to do weird things. We actually feel like a loss of energy. That kind of hunger trains us to walk alongside those who don't choose that. Those who actually are genuinely suffering as a result of this world or as a result of even their own decisions. It teaches us to have empathy because it brings us into the suffering of others. It brings us into the hunger of others. It teaches us to feel along with them, not just just to understand and know that they're there, but to feel it along with them. It ultimately builds empathy in us. In verses uh, 7, it says at the end of this, it says, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. It's such an interesting phrase because what it's implying is that that hungry stranger that you might only know of because of some article or some NPR thing you heard on the radio, he is your brother. He is your sister. That person is your family. That person is your own flesh. That person is you. That is how deeply connected we are. That is how deeply the Bible feels this connection. That this is not just some distant person. This is our own flesh. This is our own flesh. This is our own self that is hungry. And fasting helps us to feel that. It trains our hearts, trains our bodies to feel along with those who are suffering. John Donne wrote this poem. It says, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a cloud be washed away by the sea... Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. See, John Donne gets it. We're that deeply connected. We're that deeply enmeshed. God wants us to love others like we love ourselves. I think Jesus said that. He wants us to feel it, and biblical fasting helps us to do that. It's a discipline that trains us to empathize with the suffering of others. So biblical biblical fasting trains us to have margin. It disciplines us to have empathy. And it ultimately, and this is really the thrust of this passage, is that it pushes us to seek justice. If fasting is done in a way that honors God, it should always push us to seek justice should always push us to take action to right the wrongs that we see around us. About like, uh, I don't know, I I think like six months ago or something like that. It wasn't that long ago, but it was a while ago. I don't know why you needed that detail. Um, (laughs) Lauren and I were were just out and about. It was a very rare occurrence that we were out during the day without our children. Um, My parents had taken the kids for the day and we were out. I think we were shopping or something like that. And um, we were out, and it was during lunch, and uh, we were about to go get lunch, and then afterwards we were going to go get the kids. And I think we were at the PV Mall area, and I was trying to be a good husband, so I was like, hey, you know, why don't, why don't you pick where we go to eat? Because I know, like, if it's up to me, it's going to be the holy trinity of food. It's either going to be pizza, burgers, or tacos. And Lauren has convinced me that there's other food that exists out there. And so I was just trying to, you know, come alongside, do that, be like, okay, you know what? You pick. It'll be great. And so we start talking. And if you've ever been in that area, you can't walk 10 feet without, a re- like, seeing a restaurant or something like that. I'm like, surely something here will be good. So she starts talking. She's like, you know, I, I'm kind of in the mood for Mexican food, but I'm kind of not. I don't know. And Chinese food it's kind of sounds good, but I, I, I just don't know. And that sandwich place is great. I love that sandwich place. But the inside is, just, I, like, on and on. And at first, it's, like, endearing and cute. I'm like, oh, she cares so much about the details. This is so cute. I love this woman. And then, like, 20 minutes goes on. And I'm like, for the love of everything that is good. Like, I will eat kale. Just pick something. Pick anywhere. I don't care. Because, guys, like, when I'm hungry, I want that wrong to be righted. I prioritize it. I stop what I'm doing, and I figure it out. Like that Snickers commercial was made for me. I'm the guy in the Snickers commercial. I know not everybody's like that, so I don't want to put that on everybody. But I'm like that. When I get hungry, I want to right the injustice of my hunger with food. And I prioritize it. I make it urgent. It's necessary. Drop everything. Figure it out. And then go back to your life. That's how I feel. And guys, that's exactly the point of fasting. God wants us to feel that way about injustice. God wants us to feel that way about our our neighbor that's hurting, about our friend that just is not making ends meet, about the person we see on the side of the road who's asking for money. He wants us to feel that sense of urgency towards our neighbor. He's saying, in the same way you want to right the wrong of the injustice of your hunger, do that. For the world. Do that for your neighbor. Almost to the point where he's saying, that's actually more important. If you really want to know my heart, I don't really care that you're specifically hungry right now. I want you to care for your neighbor. I want you to feed those who don't have food. I want you to bring people into your homes that don't have homes. It's that urgent to God. If you want to understand God's heart, that's what he wants. That's what is riddled throughout the law is this urgency to right the wrongs of a broken world. And ultimately, biblical fasting should push us towards that. That is why God calls us to fast and pray. That's why God calls us to do these things. He's saying this should be the outcome of our fast. This should be the outcome of our worship, that we see with urgency the needs of our neighbors and do everything in our own power, to write it, and we see this throughout it. It says, "It's not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Isn't to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him." Later in verse ten, he says, "If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then you shall then your light shall rise in the darkness." Biblical fasting should push us to seek justice. And ultimately, number four is that biblical fasting leads us to satisfaction in Christ. It leads us to satisfaction in Christ. Here's the irony of the whole passage it starts with the people that are fasting so that God would satisfy them, it starts with the people that are doing all these rituals covering themselves in sackcloth and ash, fasting and doing all the things that they feel like they're supposed to do so that God would actually satisfy their needs. It's kind of how it starts. The irony of the whole thing, and, and, and Isaiah is making this very clear, this is not accidental. He's saying, if you were to actually do what God says regarding your neighbor, regarding the poor, if this were a fast that actually pushed you outwards to empathize, to have margin if it was something that actually pushed you to seek justice, in the end, what you would get is God listening. God would actually hear what you're saying and come and satisfy your deepest desires. He would be your protection, your rear guard, as they say. He would come and satisfy your deepest hunger if we were to actually fast and worship in the way he wants us to. And that's not to make it instrumental. That's not to make it we do all these things so that God would listen to it. We do all these things because that's something that honors God. That's something worthy of who God is. And God wants to be a part of it. God wants to enjoy worship with us. And so he comes and he shows up. We see this in the chapter. He said, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your real God. It says, you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Later it says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. In verse 14 later it says, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. Ultimately what biblical fasting does is it, it, it leads us to find our satisfaction in Christ leads us to see that it is God who brings that. It is God who satisfies our cravings. It is God who meets our deepest hunger. It is God who does all of this. Biblical fasting ultimately leads us to that. It is God who meets our deepest need. One of the things that we're going to be doing through the next four weeks is actually having some actual action steps if you want to participate and try out some of these spiritual disciplines. Because, I mean, I I, I was raised in a church that did not do Lent, that did not make a big deal of fasting. Um, and, And it was something that going through seminary, I learned about it. And it's not something I do well or often. But when it does, it, it's amazing what it has done in my own life, in my own spirit. And so we want to invite people in the church. And I'll, I'll just say this now. You're not a better Christian for participating in this stuff. You're not saved by doing this stuff. So I'll dispel any of that right now. But we want to invite you guys actually into this with us. So our, on, on pretty much every Tuesday leading up to Easter, I'd love to invite you to fast with me from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's basically just One meal. Just lunch, unless you're a hobbit, in which case it's five. <laughs> I'm just asking you to fast just one meal with me. We're not doing like a 40-day fast or anything like that. We're not doing anything that's going to be medically harmful. But just I want to invite you to do it. If you've never tried it before, just to try it. Um, and while you're doing it, to pray these two things, God, open up my eyes to see the needs of my neighbors. And God, satisfy me. We sang this song earlier, I'm satisfied in you. Let that be your prayer. God, let me see the needs in my neighbors. And Lord Jesus, satisfy me. Every time you feel hungry, just say those two things. And and, and, and try it. See what it's like. And if you can't do it Tuesday, do it some other day. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But I want to invite you guys into that because I think it's important for our community to build margin. It's important for our community to build empathy. It's important for our community to seek justice and ultimately find our satisfaction in him. So I want to invite you to do that. We're going to have action steps for some of the other spiritual disciplines as we go along. And this is just a chance for you to try it if you've never tried it. Um, The last um, trait of biblical fasting, and this is kind of what connects it to Lent. So far, I've uh, I've hopefully helped define what biblical fasting is, but it still kind of asks the question, why is this important to do during Lent? How does this help us actually anticipate and feel the weight of the death and resurrection of Christ? Because that's what ultimately all of these things are doing, is helping us to prepare our bodies, our minds and souls, to remember and experience the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's because God, biblical fasting is exemplified in Christ. Biblical fasting is modeling Christ. So when we fast the way the Bible wants us to, we model Christ. We experience Christ. See, Jesus did the ultimate fast. He gave up his identity. He gave up all the things, the powers that he had as God, he put them on hold so that he could come down here and suffer for us. He withheld the, the, the connection that he had with God, the communion that he had with God, the very bread of his very life. He gave up so that he might become our bread of life. He gave that up so that he might become our sustenance. What he ultimately did was he fasted so that we can feast. And I think if I could sum up biblical fasting in, in a very easy phrase, What makes Christian fasting so distinctive, what makes biblical fasting biblical, is that when we fast, others should feast as a result of it. When we fast, others should be fed. When we fast, others should be cared for. Because that's the model that we see in Jesus. He fasted so that we might feast. I want to invite up the communion servers right now because that's what we're doing when we take communion. The band can come up because we're going to continue to sing. But we come and we experience this every single week. We experience this because we come and we get to feast because of the fast that Jesus had. We get to feast because of what Jesus did. We get to come and partake in the bread of his body. We come and take the wine of his blood. We come and remember this moment that we can eat because of what Jesus did, because Jesus withheld himself from it. So I want to invite you guys forward as the band is going to play. During this time, there will also be deacons and elders and pastors kind of at the wings. If you need prayer, we would love to pray for you. This is the time also where if you want to give and invest and and give as an act of worship, um, there are boxes in the back that you can give to here. Um, But I want to pray, and then then we're going to come and, and feast upon the fasted son. So let's do this now. Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, that you fasted on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that you gave us a model, Lord, that doesn't bring us inward, that doesn't push us away from our neighbor, but Lord, pushes us toward it. Lord, you are a God working the neighborhood. God, and I pray that we as your people can do the same. Lord Jesus, please use this time of Lent. Use this time of fasting and prayer of almsgiving and scripture reading, Lord, to prepare our hearts to fully hear, Lord, to fully see, to fully experience, to fully remember what it was that you did for us on our behalf. Let it be a time where by the time we get there, we can say, yes, Lord Jesus, thank you. We can mourn and lament the loss on the cross and rejoice in the resurrection. God, I pray that you prepare our hearts for that. Lord, that we would seek you with pure hearts and ultimately, Lord, that we would seek you in a way that doesn't push our neighbor away, but Lord, loves and cares for them and brings them in and draws them in. We pray this in your name. Amen.